Hi, I'm Shania. And I'm Evita. You are listening to the 24th episode of Making It Woman in Film. A podcast where we sit down with women working in the film and TV industry to talk about their journey, experiences, advice, and the importance of diversity in front and behind the camera. Today we will be talking to filmmaker Chelsea Christer and producer Erin Pursley, whose most recent work, The Matches, was selected for Slamdance Film Festival, which is actually starting on this very day, February 12th. If you're listening in the future, it's either already happening or, you know, it it has happened. But this is so exciting. Um, But firstly, can you two just start off telling us a little about about yourselves, what you've previously done? Chelsea? Yeah, hello. Thank you so much for having us today. It's really exciting to talk to you. uh, so I guess for me, um, I uh, I started in the narrative world. I had a couple short narrative films that I directed, one that I wrote, and then um, Bleeding Audio is my first feature documentary. Um, but aside from that, uh, I guess you could say like my day job has been uh, directing and producing a lot of corporate and commercial work. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to transition and, and do a little bit more uh, narrative work after Bleeding Audio. But um, that's my background. Erin? Hi, I'm Erin. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm the producer on Bleeding Audio. Um, I mostly actually work in documentaries. So when I met Chelsea, I was super excited to, to work on the project. Um, yeah, I've done other short documentaries, mostly uh, with, with women actually as subjects or the features of the, of the shorts. Um, and I also teach a couple different film courses at some local colleges and community colleges oh, nice. in the Bay Area. Amazing. And how did you both get involved with the matches? Well, I guess I can start with that one. (laughs) Um, When, I mean, like, how far back do I need to go? (laughs) So I, um, I did do a little bit of video work for them while I was still in film school. I went to film school in the San Francisco, in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And that's where, um, you know, they come from. And um, after kind of befriending them through a couple of those projects, um, I stayed in touch with them over the years. And, um, they informed me of their reunion and I thought, oh, wow, this is great. Let me support you guys in any way I can. I'll do like little mini docs, whatever, whatever to like help drum up some buzz because I thought it was a really exciting thing. And um, the reunion just exploded and um, it became something that I thought was a bigger story. And so I asked them permission to tell their story in a long format and they humbly agreed after a lot of pushback because they thought, no one's going to want to watch this. We're not interesting. We're very boring. Um, and I like to think I proved them wrong. But um, I've been working on this film for a little over six years now. Um, and uh, it's been quite the journey to get it told. But uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Yeah, wow. I can't believe working on something for six years that... Really, I mean, that craves passion. Uh, how about you, Aaron? How did you get involved with this project? Yeah, so I met Chelsea about three years ago. So uh, we were actually at a uh, female filmmaker sort of co-op meeting um, where sort of female filmmakers get together and they sort of talk about some of the challenges, um, some of the successes, and then also have this sort of opportunity to ask for ways to collaborate with other people and so Chelsea had had mentioned that she was looking for a producer at this meeting um and I hadn't heard of of the matches or the film really previously before so I asked her to send me sort of the latest version of the film which at that point 
I think Chelsea thought it was a rough cut, but I think we both realized it was sort of an early sort of maybe rough assembly. But anyway, she sent me that version. I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is a great story. Um, and I just started uh, talking with Chelsea about the project and sort of, as you just mentioned, saw her passion for the storytelling and um, really saw four amazing characters and a really compelling story. And I thought I had to be a part of the project immediately. And that was, yeah, three years ago, um, a little over three years ago. And so, yeah, we've been That's together ever since. That's impressive and so interesting. Now, this story, the rise of, and fall of the matches, uh, bleeding audio, what is because you, Chelsea, you mentioned, you know, uh, working in narrative film uh, before that, mostly. Um, what was it that was so important for you to tell about this, the, the story of it? Okay, sorry, I dropped out there for a second. Um, but uh, for me, the the most important the most important thing to really tell about this story was, um, for me, it was a little bit of a redemption story of being able to tell um, the story of a band that kind of disappeared a little bit mysteriously and have them come back in a way that was really um, that was really heartwarming and was a testament to their legacy and also um, an even bigger testament to their central focus on community and creating a space that was um, safe and, um, and welcoming to anybody. And they had such a central focus on their fans and, um, and, and understanding that while they were creating art that was very personal to them and very unique to them, that they were you know, they were community leaders, you know, and, and they really cared a lot about connecting one-on-one -on -one with all their fans. So I mm -hmm. thought that having, having that was like a beautiful story to tell. Um, but the other side of it too was, um, you know, we can sit here and talk all day about how unique the matches are, but they're equally not, you know, so many bands go the same way that the matches did without having that beautiful redemption story, which is really sad. And a big part of the reason behind it is just because of how, how much the music industry has fallen since the digital era. And um, I think that there's this huge gap in understanding of, you know, consumers and fans and the reality of what musicians are able to um, make a living off of or not make a living off of. And it was really important to me to use this story to kind of dispel that, um, that sort of mystery and have consumers be a little more conscious of um, what, what they can do to support their artists if they want their artists to stick around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this film took six years to make, which is an incredibly long time to stay dedicated to a project. Um, can you share a little about that and how was it working on a production for that long? <sighs> Um, six years is a long time, you guys. <laughs> and, um, you know, it wasn't always great. It was really hard. I think, um, you know, Erin kind of always sort of furrows her brow at me when I say this, but like, if there's anything that like six years of working on the same project, um, has taught me, is that like, I get why people quit. <laughs> like, I totally understand. It's really hard. Um, but I think what I learned more out of that is I learned why I can't quit and why I won't quit. And um, I think if if you if you love what you're doing and you love the story you're telling and you feel like it's important, um, you know, the time doesn't it just sort of falls away. And you just know that, um, 
you know, it's just, it's a sense of purpose, you know, and the, you know, even if the bad days outweighed the good days, the good days were so much more powerful and empowering and exciting than, you know, any of the bad days. So um, it definitely, it, it's also something that I, I find very unique about it is I was a very different filmmaker six years ago. I've learned a lot, I've grown a lot, and I have to handle footage that, you know, negative six years me created and that can also be frustrating where you're like ah this amateur why am I dealing with this footage like you should know this by now <laughs> um but you know it's it's also you know I'm very proud of the project too so it's always a funny balance um mm -hmm. Aaron did I mean Aaron did you want to chime in on some of that yeah, I just want to say, you know, documentary filmmaking is totally a marathon. Like it's it's like a marathon sport where I think at, at every point a documentary filmmaker will think like, is it is this the point where I, I turn away or should I keep on going? Or you just get like, because there's so many highs and lows. And I think really it's the testament to those filmmakers who can sort of make it through. And I think it's having commitment to your story, right? Because mm -hmm. if your story isn't strong enough, it's not going to stand six years, right? At some point you're going to be like, ah, you know what? It's not quite working. You know, we, I, I put as much as I could put in and now it's done. But I think it's because, you know, we had such a strong story. And I think Chelsea knew it deep down. And so those those dark days and they, they were dark at times. You know, they really you you push through because you you see there's so much potential and you know that at the end there's going to be this like beautiful sort of like release of excitement and emotion. Um, but yeah, documentary. Film. I, mean, I think all filmmaking is a marathon, but I think docs tend to be a little bit longer in in the process. So I think. Because I have friends and other filmmakers who've worked on films for 10 years. And um, I mean, a decade on a, on a project is, is killer, but I think it really shows um, how strong you need to be and how strong, you know, strong women we need to be in order mm -hmm. to sort of push through all that, all yeah, that getting doubt close. and noise. <laughs> getting close to that 10 year mark. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually wondering, just on that note, can you maybe talk to our listeners about the process of why exactly it takes so long like is it just you know because it's not just shooting but it's also all the research that goes into it and finding the the narrative you might want to tell and maybe seeing it changing over time as well and all the different you know insight you get from the different interviews you do if you could talk about that process and obviously how it changed when you then also got Aaron on board halfway through yeah Aaron, it, you unmuted did you want to go first sure I can start off and you can you can chime in I was just gonna say I think part of the reason why they are so time-consuming and it, it is a long process I think there's two there's two sort of levels to making a movie right there's the creative process mm -hmm. right where you're figuring out your story and you're molding that and you're sort of piecing everything together and figuring out how you want to creatively tell the story and then as a filmmaker you need to be a business person right you need to be like an entrepreneur and that is a lot of work, right? Fundraising is incredibly time consuming. Fundraising for documentaries is even, I think it was even harder. Um, and then on top of that, you sort of have to wheel and deal all these, these business aspects of this career that I think, and Chelsea can talk about this, I'm sure, but you know, you don't actually, when you make, when you decide you want to be a filmmaker, you, you sort of see all the, all the creative, all the excitement, all like the really beautiful artistry of the job, but there's so much around like contracts and mm. licenses and like things that are at least less fun and time consuming and paperwork that I think as a filmmaker, you need to balance both of those. And that's why it's obviously important to have a, a great team, but um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I know Chelsea, <laughs> You're it's just great to have yourself an Aaron. 
Um, no, I, I definitely, um, uh, when it came to all of the logistical things and if it wasn't around the creative process or storytelling, I definitely turned into a little bit of a pouty child and it was really great having Aaron there to keep me in check and, um, the business part, it isn't fun and it sucks, but if there's anything that, um, you learn from, both, you know, our story in the film is that you need to handle your business. You need to know how to handle your business as an independent artist, because, um, you know, there's all kinds of sharks in the waters, but also um, this is a new era. This is a time when you can independently be, you know, a successful storyteller. And if you don't know how to handle your business, you're going to get taken advantage of, or, you know, you might lose some creative control. So um, it was great having Aaron help, you know, kind of shepherd that through, um, I had a producer early on too. Her name was uh, Jeanette uh, Bavona, and she was super helpful with that business side. And I have gotten a lot better at handling the business stuff after you know a few hard learnings. But um, in terms of just the creative process and the storytelling of this, I think the hardest thing with documentary film is knowing when to stop filming um, because you know you're essentially capturing life, and life is a crazy, weird, winding story that is just unpredictable and amazing. Um, but there has to be a point where you need to cut yourself off. And one of the things that uh, took a long time with Bleeding Audio was, um, yes, it was very hard to coordinate all the interviews. Musicians are, I love them. They're very hard to schedule. Um, they're, it's like herding cats. You've got tour schedules. You've got just general <laughs> flakiness. You've got like, you know, you've got just people who are spread out all over the country and the world and just trying to have a cohesive filming schedule with the budget that we had, which was very small. Um it just is not possible. So it's something that, you know, spanned three years. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of feel like um, we had three years of production and like three years of post-production on this film. And um, another thing that kind of delayed us a little bit was um, I, after the reunion shows and, you know, after filming a majority of my interviews, um, the matches decided to start recording new music. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is the best end of the story. This is amazing, you know? I thought this is going to be the most inspirational end of the film. Like they didn't think they'd be wanted back and they came back and they were so inspired to make new music. And I spent like three months recording their like digital era sessions where they were like phoning in and all this collaboration. And it was this big thing. And like not a frame of it ended up in the final film and it like delayed further production like six months, you know? And um, it's just, that's documentary filmmaking is I kept kind of trying to sneak it in. I was like, Oh, maybe we'll do like a Marvel end tag and it'll just be at the end of the film and it'll be great. But like, it just doesn't, it just didn't work that way, you know? And, um, uh, and that's fine. Um, but also it's the editorial process as you go in, it's, it is a lot like screenwriting where you go in with the story you write, you go in with the story you shoot, then you have the story you edit and, um, refining the, the story and making sure that we stuck to something that had a central focus and a theme and wasn't just a mash of all the stories that we wanted to tell, um, what was a long process and sometimes mm -hmm. a very hard one. Um, there was a lot to be told with this film and, um, narrowing it down was definitely um, a challenge, um, but it was it was fun, and I'm again happy with how it turned out. Yeah, I think the post production of documentary filmmaking is so fascinating. Can I ask, do you know how much footage you had, like in hours? Oh my god, I mean, we had about 55 interviews, which were all between an hour and three hours, depending on the subject. 
Um, How do you cut that down? <laughs> well, um, we got everything transcribed. I actually mm -hmm. was able to crowdsource transcription services from Matches fans, which was amazing. Um, and just went through and made selects. And, um, you know, I had a, a, a narrative outline with um, key beats that I broke into three-act structure that I provided to my very first editor, Jen Bradwell. Um, and she helped sort of whittle all of these interviews down. Um, and, you know, these are just the interviews. This isn't even, you know, the hours and hours of B-roll of live, live footage and archival that we had, too. I mean, I honestly can't even tell you how, how much it was, but it was hundreds of hours. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, it just, um, it's just a process of, like, just kind of slowly just bringing things shorter and shorter and refining. Um, and, I mean, transcription was a crucial part of being able to find things quickly and be able to place them in a time in a timeline. Um, I've always kind of talked about documentary filmmaking as being like uh, like writing your dissertation, but only being able to use like quotes of audio, and you can't change it. You just have to use what's provided to you. So it's like very difficult to you know make an argument and like and you know have supporting facts and everything you that you do in like mm -hmm. writing an essay or or whatever and building it off of other people's words, you know? Um, and it's a, a long process, but um, when we got really stuck in the storytelling um, and just trying to make sure that we had everything there, we kind of refined our, our central theme, but we also, again, brought in like literally the hero's journey at one point and just like started m matching our scenes with the hero's journey to make it feel a little more like a, a narrative that we're used to so that you could kind of see and and play out and see each character arc and um mm -hmm. that's that it just it's just constantly like getting a finer and finer toothed comb over the timeline uh, so interesting and um congratulations on your three wins of film festivals on acceptance into slam dance so congratulations <laughs> thank um, you people, okay for people trying to get into their films into festivals what would your advice be for them Erin do you want to start well that's such a great question um I think I think it's a multi there's so many different ways I want to answer that question but I think film festivals are really tricky um first first I guess I want to say is you get a lot of rejection and um and that's filmmaking <laughs> kind of in general right you get rejection from grants when you apply for grants you get rejection you know on multiple levels so I think um the thicker this the skin you have the better but I think for festivals is knowing that that programming for festivals is such a interesting interesting sort of sport in the sense that it's really about, you know, what festivals you apply to when you're applying and, you know, what are the other films at that time and programmers are really, you know, they're, they're thinking about, you know, how they can have a diverse slate, but, you know, for instance, we applied to some festivals and we thought a couple of them, we, we should have gotten in, like, you're perfect for this festival. Why would they not want us? Like, and I think you you have to have a little bit of confidence when you apply because you you, you want to feel like you know this 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 product you created this film is amazing like you should definitely want to show this. And then when we got rejected, it was just like a little bit of like what the heck like where'd this come from? So I think um, it's hard to know. Um, I think I think it's hard to know what they want, but part of it is to sort of be be confident in what you're making and be prepared to get those rejections. But I think festivals, part of it is is, is getting to know the programmers. Um, 
and um and really networking and I hate that term because it sounds like you're just like in some sort of like room and you're smarmy like handing out like business cards which could be sort of you know a little bit corny but I think you, you have to meet people right because when people get your look at your film and they look at your sort of your synopsis right they're sort of gauging what the film's like but when they put a face to all of that right when they see Chelsea and they see her passion or they meet both of us together and they see us together you know, it, then it becomes like a full package and they can really see how it fits into the festival. So part of it is, it's like really getting to know the programmers and that's time consuming. I know as a filmmaker, you're often running out of time <laughs> or you just are lim limited on time, but to make time to get to know the programmers mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, to really uh, think about how you can sort of market and pitch your film, um, which again, for some people might sound really, um, uncomfortable because you want your film and its artistry to stand on its own, but really festivals need to see how it's gonna fit in. And so you have to sort of, you as a filmmaker or even the filmmaker producer need to help them see how the film's gonna fit into their slate, right? So for a music doc, I think it's hard because if they get three, you know, if they get a whole bunch of music docs um, submitted, you know, what it makes our film stronger than other films. And so I think it's, it's really trying to show uh, what the themes are, what kind of audience you're going to bring in, what kind of extra things, you know, whether it's Q and A's or sort of special little events. Mm -hmm. um, I think we always like to sort of push that we can do some sort of, you know, we've done a, some acoustic or musical performances. I know that Chelsea can talk more about that, but I think it's really finding ways to sort of um, pitch your film um, and have it stand out. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I guess as a producer, can I ask? what how festivals are obviously very important to independent filmmakers specifically what what are the goals and kind of the strategy you put when you are uh, submitting to festivals and what you're kind of aiming to achieve with it yeah and i and i i think the, the important thing is you need to have a plan right you're yeah. as you just mentioned it is a strategy right you don't just want to willy-nilly you know apply because first festivals of application fees are expensive right you want to apply and they're like you know as low as you know some of those early fees are a little bit cheaper but some of those late fees are like 110 bucks per festival right and that adds up so you really need to have a strategy going in so you know chelsea really had a clear idea of a of a couple really core festivals that she wanted to apply to and then we sort of talked about it together and maybe added a little bit more and prioritize but you really do need to prioritize i think 10 or 15 sort of top tier festivals that that i think really mean a lot to you that you think would be a really great fit and then sort of branch out from there, right? And it's really, you know, Chelsea loves a spreadsheet. I, I'm hoping she's gonna talk about how much she loves spreadsheets, but um, it's really putting together you know, a spreadsheet and thinking about, you know, when are the submission dates? What are the festivals? Where are they at? And you have to also think about, you know, this idea of every festival sort of says they want a premiere. Um, and what does that mean, right? Can you be a state premiere? Can you be a regional premiere? You know, you don't have to necessarily always be, um, you know, a European premiere or a, um, you know, a, a North American premiere. So I think thinking about that, um, and it's really sort of thinking through what your goals are for the film. I mean, I think fest film festivals fit into that larger idea of what where you want your film to go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you want the life of the film to be. Cause you know, you put all this time in and you want to think about, you know, it's, it's like a being, it's like a thing, you know, you like kind of birth a baby and you got to figure out where the baby's going to go afterwards. So um, I think it's a lot of um, really thoughtful consideration and yeah, we were really sort of clear about what festivals we thought bleeding audio really um, wanted to, we really wanted it to play in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, just to add to that, sorry, sorry, I know my internet is so bad, you guys. Um, but um, but just to add to that is, uh, and sorry if I'm repeating anything Aaron said, but we did want to be very strategic. You know, we, we were very adamant about having um, having festivals that would support a potential music component or just felt like their, um, you know, their programming and their themes really fit the heart and spirit of our own film. And um, we've had, I think, you know, in terms of strategy too, I mean, it is a lot of, of networking and just cold submitting and just talking to people and a lot of, a lot of festival programmers kind of check out other festival programs, you know, and there's, there's a lot of like intermixing. And I think it's just, you have to be your film's best advocate, you know, is you have to be its champion. And um, I think, you know, you don't want to be that person who's pestering people and cold calling people, but I, you know, you do need to put yourself out there. You need to like kind of go out of your comfort zone because, um, you know, people are looking for great work. And if you have something that you feel is really special, I mean, you got to sell it and, you know, people aren't going to watch it unless you know how to make them want to, you know? And I think too, with, um, with bleeding audio, um, and this is kind of a, problem I have is I get very excited about how to market a thing once it comes out I'm like these are all of the like advocacy campaigns I want to do this is like the fun like viral marketing thing I want to do and I have like all these ideas as I'm making the film when I should really just be focusing on making the film um, but I basically went into these festivals with like all of these ideas of ways to incorporate music and um, and you know put together panels about musicians rights and um, you know, again, like music showcases, I actually made and I'm so sad about the pandemic this year, because I made like a little 360 experience of, um, you know, being like in a crowd at a matches show. And, you know, we wanted to kind of submit that to a couple of the VR experiences, too, you know, and so we had all these like little things that just I, I feel like kind of made us a compelling program, because it's, it, to me, it's about um, knowing like who, who your audience is and then how you're going to engage and activate that audience because that's what film festivals are trying to do is they're trying to um, bring together a community and bring together an audience and knowing who their audience is will help you know how your film will fit into um, you know their, their communities. Exactly. Now bringing it back to what you were talking about earlier about how, you know, um, the digitalization of music has impacted the music industry and musicians and artists. Obviously, now there's also this pandemic that's uh, doing a lot of, uh, well, it's rumbling through everything. And I was wondering if you could speak to how and what the pandemic is doing financially for already struggling musicians and artists uh, who rely uh, on touring um, as their main source of income it's dark days you guys <laughs> um i uh, i i have a huge soapbox rant that i could go on about this but even before the pandemic um you know touring was and is the primary income for most working musicians and even touring is just not sustainable it's you know, it's literally the expense of a human body, you know, like you think of the sports industry and you've got your backup, you know, goalies and pitchers and whoever, you don't have backup musicians for like your lead singers, you don't have backups who can trade in and like rest, you know, it's just, 
it's just a constant onslaught. And while touring is very fun and there's a lot of wonderful things about it, uh, the amount in which an artist needs to tour in order to make a living is just not healthy emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, it's, it's very demanding. And so, you know, it was already a troubling primary income for artists. But now that um, this income is completely gone, there's no support for the artist. And um, while I do hope that um, there is some reflection in the industry about, you know, the uns unsustainability of touring, what I think is kind of further down the line that people aren't really considering is, um, yes, our musicians aren't getting income from touring right now. Um, but what's a little bit scarier is the independent venues that would house these musicians who rely so heavily on touring. Those are starting, I mean, those are starting to just die out completely. It's not even about the musicians at this point. It's about the venues because once we do come back, you know, a lot of these middle of the road artists, not these like huge arena pop stars or whatever, um, they're not going to have venues that they can perform at. So then now we have this other problem, which is that, you know, the venue workers, the event staff, the venues, like they don't have spaces for artists to play in. So if an artist is going to go on, say, a national tour, usually you can kind of connect the dots between place to place. They can, you know, make money to get them from the next spot. But now, like if there's no independent venues in between these stretches, like how are they going to do a national tour? You know, there's just so in the U.S. and, you know, Europe and the U.K., like it's just taking those little like dots and suddenly the the stretches are wider and it's just it's just going to be even less sustainable if they don't have venues. So um, I know in the U.S. there was a um, a relief bill that went to independent venues and um, for Save Our Stages was the advocacy campaign for it. It's called the Restart Bill. And I'm hoping that that's able to save some of the venues, um, you know. We'll wait and see. I'm not. I don't have a ton of faith in the administration. We've got like three. We're recording this on the 17th. We've got like three days before we know if America is even going to mm. exist anymore. I guess. Um, but um, uh, sorry, a little dark. Um, but that all said, is like what I hope people learn from this pandemic is that music has value and that we need to reconsider how we're compensating our artists for their art we shouldn't be paying artists for everything surrounding their art you know like the t-shirt the vinyl you know well vinyl is actually music so that's good buy vinyl please um <laughs> but like the t-shirt the show the you know all these other little things like we should find a way to have equitable compensation for artists music that um you know, that like Spotify, Google Plus or whatever, Google Music, Apple Music, all of these different places um, can just do better. So mm -hmm. um, I think my internet dropped again. But uh, that's that's what I hope comes out of the pandemic. Yeah. And um, with fuck. the festival. Well, it sounds good on my your, end. Sorry, um, guys. <laughs> Sorry, how has the pandemic affected your films being shown in these festivals? I'll, I'll start off with that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so just to, just to uh, I guess, reflect a little bit on what Chelsea was saying, I think, and, and then I'll sort of move into the question you just asked. So yeah, the pandemic is, is affected, I think, or yeah, COVID has affected all art forms, right? So I think all, it's not just musicians mm -hmm. that are struggling, you know, independent filmmakers are struggling, um, you know, actual artists, designers, you know, it's really hard to, 
and they're, I think they're trying to push for more, um, more resources and more sort of ways to help uh, fund them. But I think it's, it's taking so long to really think that through. So I think artists in general, really finding a way to, to make your career sustainable is incredibly challenging, let alone having a pandemic where all your natural, you know, places that you normally would get funding for and your clients, all that stuff is no longer there. Um, the other thing I just wanted to sort of tie into that in terms of our process, right? So you mentioned Chelsea, you know, had been working in this film and she can mention with that for six years, you know, I had come onto this film for a little, little over three, you know, we finished the film, you know, you're like struggling to get to that finish line and you get to that finish line and you're like, yay, everyone gets to see it. And then like, you're like, yay, everyone gets to see it. And then I think part of it is selfishly, you know, you want to people to see it, right? You want to be in that theater where it's crowded and loud and people are clamoring with their popcorn and then they watch it and then it finishes and the credits roll and everyone's cheering. And it's like this, like the greatest release, right? You work so hard on your film and you want that. And of course, you know, the pandemic has sort of robbed us of that. Um, and, I, and I know Chelsea has such fond memories of, we, we did have one in theater premiere, which we could talk about, but I mean, in, in March before everything closed down, but it's, it's really hard. Virtual festivals are fantastic. And there's a lot of really great positives around them, really great pros. But I think, you know, as a negative is like that in-person feeling, right? Being in that theater is so vital. Um, and I also think about this, you know, I, I, I teach. And so now we do virtual classes. So now everyone's watching movies on their own. And there's no like no feeling when you're watching it all together and you see everyone's reactions, right? It, it sort of affects it in, in a myriad of ways. But um, you know, virtual festivals are great. It's great because you can, you know, you can potentially do a Q and A for a festival, you know, where you maybe you wouldn't have been able to travel to. So there's definitely, you know, positives, and you can connect with filmmakers all over. But having that in person, that like moment where you all get together and like talk about your films and like meet other people and see other films that live experience, you know, it's hard. It's really challenging, and we're really pushing ourselves to find all the silver linings. <laughs> in the virtual space, you know, mm -hmm. as much as we can do. So it's really thinking like, you know, it's virtual festivals, it's virtual Q and A's, it's doing as much as we can on social media, um, engaging with our audience. It's, um, it's thinking through how we can sort of put together these extra things to get people excited. Um, and then really hoping for the moment that things get better where we can be in the theater with people. And, and we keep on thinking that's coming soon. And I think we, I, I want to keep, keep hopeful because you know we have a whole life of screenings potentially this year so there's that option but it's it's hard right those virtual festivals it's just different you know this way when you watch your a movie on your laptop you know just not the same watching in a huge screen theater um and you know when chelsea and i were doing all those uh, endless fixes on the film right we were imagining i mean chelsea could talk about the sound mix right i think the sound mix is the one thing where we were getting that sound mixed on that, you know, surround sound. And all you're thinking about is how you want that music to like, sort of like blow everyone away, that sound mix. And so having it on our speakers that are not as great, you know, on your laptop or even on a home TV, it's just, you know, not the same. Chelsea, I know you. Uh, we got the most amazing 5-1 sound mix done um, at a place in San Francisco called Disher Audio. And like they took they took the the music and they just they just made it feel like you're just in the middle of a live show. And it just oh, it just it just pours over you. You know, it's just the sound bath of rock and roll and you just love it. And um, yeah, I mean, kind of bouncing back to what Aaron said, you know, 
it's just you take six years of your energy and your life force and you just sort of drain it into this movie. And the whole point of the screenings is for people to put energy back into you, you know, like they're feeding off of your energy in the movie. And then they sort of give it back to you when you can sit there and witness it. And um, while our our one world premiere screening was amazing and it it gave me so much life that probably sustained me for the depression of the pan oncoming pandemic <laughs> um it's like it's just yeah it, it isn't the same virtually but we've been doing our we've been doing our best i love what festivals are trying to do i think what slam dance is doing by making independent films so accessible is incredible i think that there is this um sort of disconnect between independent cinema and what exists on your own streaming service. And I think it's really exciting that they're kind of blurring that line and introducing a completely independent world to people who might not be socialized to it. And I think that's awesome. I think all virtual film festivals are striving for that. And I think that, you know, Slamdance does have a, a bigger platform, I think, right now. But these other festivals are engaging their communities and, and broadening that scope, which is very exciting for independent cinema. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, our world premiere was on March 7th, 2020 and, um, which is, you know, hilarious in retrospect, um, darkly hilarious. But I remember like the film festival actually announced that they were shutting down after that weekend. So, I mean, even just being in the theater with all those people and, it was like, okay, no hugs. We'll just elbow tap. But I mean, by the end of the night, we were just hug like I hugged everybody who walked through that theater, like everybody. And thinking back to it now, I'm just like, what were we doing? <laughs> you know, it was this like weird. Um, uh, I, I, I've been using this joke a lot. So sorry, it's old now. But we were literally like the quartet, like on the Titanic, <laughs> like, just sitting there like, okay, everybody enjoy, enjoy the end of the world. You know, yeah. it was it was wild. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was a great for, for many a great last movie to see before all this. So yeah. I do have a little point of pride in saying that people are like, what's the last movie you saw in theaters? And I'm just like, mine. <laughs> I love that. Um, now to wrap this up, we always, something we always ask our guests is if you could both each give a shout out to a woman who inspires you, whether professionally or personally, um, go for it. <laughs> I think I know who Aaron's is going to be, but I'm going to shout out um, Lynn Shelton. Um, Lynn Shelton passed away earlier this year in May. She has long since uh, been one of my favorite um, directors working in the industry. I just love um, her. Uh, I just love her storytelling and I have loved seeing her career. I've always really admired how she's balanced her career. And um, she, she always inspired me, like seeing her grow from Sundance to going to being like a really prolific TV director. Um, I just always really admired her and loved her movies. There's just something deeply human about all the characters that she builds in her films, even if they're like these quirky kind mm -hmm. of slightly unrealistic scenarios. Um, there's just something that she gets to the heart of what it is to be human. And I just love that about loved that about her films. Um, and uh, yeah, she's one of them. I mean, there's there's lots of there's lots of uh, badass women that inspire me like Aaron inspires me putting up putting up with me all the time and doing uh, she's got another film that uh, she's working on that I'm super excited about and um 
yeah, there's just a lot of there's a lot of badass women working in this industry. And it's really exciting to have a super long list of ladies that um, that, you know, I can look up to as as heroes, but also as peers. So, you know, I could go on forever. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's such a great question. I feel like I want to like name. Yeah, I want to name everybody. Everyone before me inspires me to keep on going. Um, I mean, I think just to preface, you know, when, when Chelsea and I met at that filmmaker female filmmaker co-op you know and there's uh, you know I think there was like 12 to 15 of us all talking about different projects some documentaries some narratives some short some feature you know and and people have been going through different sort of in different phases of the process that is always inspiring I think it's really important um as a as a yeah I think it's really important to be surrounded by other people who are working on stuff because you can feel a little isolating when you're when you're working on a movie um that's a side note. Um, people who inspire me. I mean, all sorts of people. I think um, on on the narrative and um, Agnes Varda is like a constant inspiration. Oh, yeah. I mean, like to make movies into your late 80s, early 90s and to do it with, with such humor and grace and like beauty. Um, and her films always, I've watched them later on. They always make me think in a new way. Um, yeah. And, and so, um, I th- and I think about how, you know, she was, you know, really prolific director, but you know, she doesn't get as much credit for French New Wave as opposed to some of the other male male counterparts, which always gets me a little bit angry. Um, and I always try to show her in one of my classes when I teach something around that. Um, and I think in the documentary end, um, there's lots of filmmakers, but I think Don Porter has always been a great inspiration. And I think one reason why she also inspires me, she made she had two films come out in 2020. And I was thinking to myself, you can do one film. And, but, and like, still like, how do you keep your hair in your head and like everything kind of moving? But she got two films coming out and her came out this past year and is like just killing it with stuff. And so I just, I, the one thing I would think that about this process of filmmaking is as Chelsea mentioned earlier, you know, it, it, it potentially can kill you, right? It could potentially want you to walk away and the people who can keep on, the women especially, who can keep on making art and make it as consistently and as, as like, as like important as, as you can do. I think shows that like you just have to kind of like pick yourself up after every project and sort of get a new level of energy. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope that, you know, Chelsea and I can both, you know, kick ass this year and get some new projects out there and keep it rolling because, you know, we got more stories to tell. And lastly, this is a music documentary done by 100% female cast and crew, which is amazing. Something I aspire to do. I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, why was this important to you and um, do you have any last message to the woman listening well so um, I it's it's so interesting because um, I feel like the amazing thing about being a woman in film is that a lot of the times your department head choices are just a little bit unconscious. You just know like, oh, I I love her. She's great. I want to work with her, <laughs> you know? And there isn't this, um, uh, it, it's just there. The, the barriers to entry, I feel like aren't there because you're already conditioned to just believing in people and their abilities. And um, which sounds maybe a little dark and judgmental, but I mean, honestly, it's just like, I was so thrilled to bring on Aaron, um, in production, you know, our producers were women. Um, we did have, you know, a a lot of men work in the, in the camera department because we were filming over so many years, but, um, but like my first editor, Jen Bradwell was amazing, amazing storyteller, our animator, Marissa, um, another talented lady. And it's just, it's so important to me to have, 
parity and to be able to collaborate with people and um, who have different, you know, different backgrounds and different perspectives on the world. And um, I just, I love working with women, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like I just, it's, it's so easy to communicate. It's so easy to understand and, and just be creative with one another. And, you know, there's a lot of men I love working with too, but to me, it's like, it's so important for visibility for other women to see women telling stories, you know, Um, and being able to, show that yes like we can we can do this and we can do it together and um you shouldn't be discouraged by you know the barriers that do exist out there and it really takes other women i think leading more women through the door um to make sure that we can get to parity and be able to have at least you know 50 50 in the workplace and you know if it becomes 70 percent women 30 percent men that's fine too you know (laughs) <clears throat> just just saying just saying you know like it's uh it's it's been great and um I'm looking forward to continuing collaborating with more women in my career there um there there's some talented ladies out there and I think um it's an exciting time because I, I think there's a a desire to have those fresh voices out there because it's definitely a um a perspective that hasn't been um featured as heavily in the last in the history of film so yeah I think Chelsea's to like agree with everything she just said I think it's it's so important to like have representation right because you you know I remember watching films when I was a young girl right and um and I would look to see who some of the people were and then I would sort of be curious when I was watch award shows and who won and it is something to think about where you see yourself in there and you think if they can do it I can do it right and so you know, um, and I and I even when I teach films, right? I always try to include films that are not just done by men, but done by women, done by you know people of color, because it is important to really show, and you need to sort of push it forward, right? They 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 don't really they need to not only exist, but you need to also sort of push them into the to the um, mm-hmm. visibility. And I think the other thing is 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 exactly that. You know, women had helped helped me along the way, right? I've had tons of people who I've worked with, um, who's given me my first job. Um, and have supported me. And now it's the time that we start bringing in, you know, uh, emerging filmmakers ourselves and interns and other people who can help us out. Because I think it's it's so important that we support one another, but we also show that like, it is possible to have, you know, an all female led crew and to do amazing work and to balance it all. I think sometimes I wonder if we as women are sort of told that we can't have it all, right? We have to sort of choose one or the other. Um, and it's hard, and I'm and I'm not sure how that all works, but I think it's important to to, to strive for everything, right? You want to you don't want to have to pick and choose. You want to be able to be a professional, um, and have a you know personal life and have a career, and you know not apologize for anything. And I think it's really important. Um, at every turn, to sort of look back and um, take a breath, but then keep on going, right? Um, I constantly tell Chelsea when we want to, there's a couple of times where we've had some, some rough interactions with people where I, I always quote the Michelle Obama quote, where she says, when they go low, you go high. Um, and mm-hmm. I constantly think that, I mean, maybe I should have said Michelle Obama is my inspiration, but it's, it's really thinking through like, you're going to, we're going to get this done and we're going to do this our way. And we're not going to be sort of told how to do it. Um, and just, yeah, maybe I'm sort of talking in circles, but just sort of pushing through all that, all that noise. Um, so yeah, any young woman out there, you know, you can do this, this is possible and just keep on fighting for it. Um, and it's going to be hard 
and you got to be persistent and you got to be patient. Um, but you know, go forth and conquer. Yeah. And I think too, just to follow up on that, I think like what's very interesting about the industry now, as it was maybe even 20 years ago, is that um, it's not about that unhealthy competition of, oh, like we've hit the affirmative action quota. I can be the only woman here. I can't let any others in. I don't, I don't think that's a thing anymore. And I think it's really important for women who are on like in the industry or women who are on their way to the industry or, or young women who are eager to know more to ask questions and be open to like information sharing and being a part of these communities and sharing, you know, insights and advice. Like I, I reached out to a, a director who I really admire, um, who was a part of our, our um, Cinefem group because, you know, I'm interested in seeking representation. Do I know anything about like what, sh what to look for in representation? I don't, I'm not at that level yet, but she is. And she was so open and, and kind and giving me all kinds of answers and, you know, I asked a, a, a male director counterpart too. And, you know, it's a different experience and there are different barriers. And it's like very interesting to be able to, you know, just ask questions. And um, I think that the perspective of women in the industry is not to say that, you know, a male director's um, perspective is, is not valid or, or um, relevant, but like it's it's a different experience and it's important that I feel like us as women in this industry are, you know, are encouraging and supportive and information share. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to me that um, we just all support each other so we can lift each other up, you know, so that there's more of us in there and we don't get, you know, the Joker nominated for best picture, you know, <laughs> like it's uh, because we need more of us up there to make those, you know, votes <laughs> and start bringing in more stories that um, are more representative of everyone. Now, this has been so great talking with you both. Best of luck with Slam Dance and everything else that is to come for Bleeding Audio. Um, where can people find you to support your work? Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Yeah, I, I would uh, encourage everyone to come and check out our website. It's bleeding-audio.com. Um, um, sign up. There's a way to sign up for our newsletter and get more information on the film and future screenings uh, in, in your neighborhood. Um, you can, of course, find us on Facebook, Bleeding Audio Film. You can find us on Instagram. I think it's also Bleeding Audio Film, Chelsea. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and, uh, of course, on Twitter, all of our socials. We really try to put a lot of our sort of festival news and excitement on our social uh, media channels so you can sort of see what's going on. And, and Chelsea is a pro at constantly posting fantastic information. Um, well, that's giving me a little bit too much credit, but um, we we do have we do have social media help too because I'm not I'm not amazing I'm trying to be better about social media. <laughs> uh, but yeah, follow us there. What else should we tell them, Chelsea? But um, well, I don't know what else we can say yet. But I do know that Slam Dance. Please check us out at Slam Dance. Um, we have a bunch of fun stuff planned um, that we're going to be doing digitally through the week to promote the film at the festival. Um, and, uh, yeah, check us out on our socials. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at Chelsea Christer. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter at Chelsea Mark and then Facebook and, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just, um, we're excited to be part of the community and just talk more about 
our film and talk about your films too, you know? Thank you for listening to the 24th episode of Making It a Woman in Film. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all our social medias. Hope to see you soon.